Welcome back to Conversations with the Calvinist. My name is Matthew Henson, and I am not your Calvinist today, but I did bring one with me. Today we're going to be doing a really special episode. It's an idea that I had uh, that Keith and I could do because we've developed such a friendship and a, and a brotherhood together as fellow believers who do differ on some important things. But Keith has had the grace to have me on his show several times, several, several of my friends as well. And so I've often thought, what does Keith think about this subject? Because he does such a great job at keeping his cards close to the vest. But what if we were to pry a little bit and say, Keith, what if you were the one being interviewed? Because I can tell there's a lot he has to say and a lot he wants to say. And I wanted to give him a chance to do that and also sit on opposite sides of the interview uh, table for that, uh, that process. So, Keith, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. And you're not yet a Calvinist. Not yet. Right? <laughs> Every time. <laughs> yeah. It's, you're contractually obligated. It just has absolutely, to happen. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Not yet a Calvinist. Uh, Jake told me, uh, Jake Korn, who you had on a, a couple of weeks ago, told me that it's a, it's a slow burning wick, but eventually it'll, <laughs> it'll hit the gunpowder. And that's when we have to put you in the cage, you know, and then, and then after you smolder down a little bit, then you're, then you're good. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I absolutely. See. You're the most knowledgeable non-Calvinist friend I have. I, no, I, I appreciate that. Well, I mean, I enjoy talking with you. I enjoy our conversations, especially areas where we may differ some, mm -hmm. and uh, and I look forward to today. I think it's going to be fun. I think it will be, too. So to the viewer or the listener, today what we're talking about is a big church word called ecclesiology. Now, if you have not heard of that word before, what it means is how does a church organize itself? How does it do its operations? Who's in charge of things? What kind of... Uh, elements happen during a church service. What is a church service? Does it differ from, say, a Wednesday night Bible study? Those kinds of things. And so Keith um, has, and I have talked about this before, we've touched on it. We did a, a podcast about um, N.T. Wright not too long ago in which the subject of can women be pastors came up, and that required us to define what is a pastor? Yep. What's an elder? What's a, what, what do these words mean? What does the New Testament have to say about that? So that's what we're focusing on today, the offices of the New Testament, how they function, and what might that look like in a 2022 church. Amen. Okay. To it. Yeah. Good stuff. So uh, the New Testament, Keith, as I understand it and as I read it, um, presents us with the foundation of the very first church there in, in Acts. When, when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, Peter preaches, it says a bunch of them uh, were saved that day, 3,000 I think it is, which if you've ever had a church service where that happened, please let me know. I want to know what exactly <laughs> what you did there because I'd be all about that. Um, but that happens, and the church is in this state of flux at first. There's not the, – the apostles are 100% in charge, uh, and we'll have to define what that means in just a minute. Um, but there's this idea of uh, it's just the Holy Spirit is just running this way, running that way, and the church is struggling to keep up and figure out what the next move is and, and all that. But come, come around a couple of chapters into the book of Acts, and we start to see just a little bit of structure develop. And I'm thinking specifically of Acts 6, But before we, because that's the formation of the deacons. But before we go there, let me ask you this. In the first five chapters of Acts, what, uh, what is, how would we contrast our churches today with how they operated then, and how should we be consistent with that? Are there things that they did that we either shouldn't do or no longer can do? Um, and are there things we can learn from them? 
Well, there's always things we can learn from them, but I I caution people a lot at at even even later chapters in the book of the book of Acts, assuming that this is normative. Mm-hmm. I, I've heard people say we need to go back to the church in Acts. Mm-hmm. Well, the church in Acts is is. Uh, Birthing, it's being birthed in the sense, and and I understand the reformed argument of the Old Testament saints were in the church, and they just, so from the perspective of for for that argument, for those who might make that argument, I'll say the New Covenant Church, okay, is work. is birthed mm-hmm. after after. Uh, uh, the resurrection of Christ, and then of course Pentecost, the, the, and and like you said, there's this grand movement where the Holy Spirit is saving thousands of people mm-hmm. at a time, and mm-hmm. it says it's be, their be, their numbers are being added to daily, yeah, multiplied, which frequently, is yeah. amazing, right? Um, and and yet this is not going to be the norm, not as far as numerically that wouldn't be the norm either, <laughs> but also um, the structure, mm-hmm. it, it, it seems as, like, I, I like what you said about the church trying to keep up, it seems as if there was movement to mm-hmm. organize this this entity mm-hmm. that is now existing in, in a new way that is not necessarily in line with the synagogue or the, the old, old covenant structure of priesthood and those things, mm-hmm. because there's one high priest who is Christ, mm-hmm. and so even though our Anglican friends would argue there are priests in the new covenant, we would say uh, there's elders, pastors, mm-hmm. and deacons, but not... Um, not priests. Well, I wore my shirt that says Solus Christus on it. That's yeah, one of them in there. So there yeah. we go. <laughs> so, so we have this mm. model that is, um, well, let me back up. We don't have a model. What mm-hmm. we have is we have a, a lot of change over a short, short amount of time. And you're, we're going to talk about the deacons in a moment, the form, formulation of the deacons. Mm-hmm. So, w- what do we learn? We, we still see authority. Mm-hmm. You already mentioned this. We still see the apostles exercising leadership, governance, uh, loving. L- mm-hmm. loving uh, uh, authority within the church. We see care for the people within the body. Mm-hmm. We know that's what brought about the issue of the need for the deacons because there were certain people who felt like they weren't being cared for enough or mm-hmm. weren't being cared for in the right way. And so there, the, the, the function of ministry is happening, but we, we don't see the 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 structure that we would later see in the, the, the uh, epistles of, of Paul to mm-hmm. Timothy and Titus, the known as the pastoral epistles, we don't see that structure right away. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense. As mm-hmm. the Spirit is moving, as the Spirit is leading, as churches are being established, these things are being recognized. And there's still apostles in the world. I do think we live in the post-apostolic age. Okay. And in, in the sense that my wife and I actually had this conversation at lunch. Okay. Because she asked me, well, do we, are there apostles today? And what, the reason why she was talking about that is because uh, recently Costi Hinn did an mm-hmm. interview um, on the subject of apostles, and he was saying, you know, uh, there's no apostles today. And I said, well, that's that's true in the sense of the the original twelve, mm-hmm. and then Paul, who says he was born out of due season. There's no original apostles today, um, but depending on how we use that word, uppercase, lowercase, you know, yeah. a, a missionary might be considered one who was sent by the church. Yeah. And, and, could and you so, could you define just in in a general sense what does the word apostle mean? One who is sent. Okay, so, so it just means sent one. Yeah. And yeah okay. So in that case. Um, I, I'm not going to die on the hill if a church wants to call their pastor an apostle, sent mm-hmm. by you know somebody sent by God to lead the church, or if somebody wants to call their missionaries apostles. I'm not going to die on that hill. I'm right. not going to make a big deal. But I would distinguish between the original 
apostles that carried the apostolic authority. Right. You know, the, and the Bible talks about the, the 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 apostles doing the works of an apostle, uh-huh. having the gifts yep. of the apostles. So so there was something unique uh-huh. about that first century apostleship that did go away mm-hmm. and gave way to eldership. And it's so interesting that Paul wasn't one of the twelves and he calls himself an apostle. Right. Peter was one of the twelves and he calls himself an elder. That's right. He does. <laughs> so, yeah. so there's yeah. sort of a unique uh, sort of bypass and d- exchange there. Mm-hmm. Peter didn't mind calling himself an elder. Yep. That's and, right. And Paul was, of course, affirmed as, a, as an apostle. So it's just, it, we, we can't say, well, here's what they did in Acts, therefore that's what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's the, there is an evolution there. Ooh, bad word. Evolution. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a beginning of, of formulation and structure, and, and, and um, certainly over that first century, or throughout mm-hmm. that first century, there were, there were structures that were put in place by God through the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. Through the apostles, mm-hmm. and uh, and so that's is there value there? Yes, but it's it's not normative. I see. I see. As at least as I would say, I not would say normative. It's not normative. Now, yeah. could you could you tell us in the shorthand I use for it is lowercase a apostle, capital A apostle, one mm-hmm. to refer to a descriptor and one to refer to the office. Yeah, I, um, I, I've said that. Okay. Yeah. Could you do the same for the word church? When someone says, "Okay, the New Testament church did this or that." And then there's the capital C church, as I say it, which is, I think C.S. Lewis called it, the all the believers throughout time and history spread like an army with terrible banners or something like that. It's this huge, <laughs> maje- I think it was in the screw tape letters, and yeah. it was, it was uh, uh, screw tape saying, you know, your, your person's gone to church, and by this I do not mean this church, which is the capital C church, which terrifies us, but I mean this this small little group that we as demons can can you know tamper with and whatever. So he made a distinction there. What what would you say the distinction is between lowercase C church and capital C church? If if that's a useful way of differentiating. Well, in the book, mm-hmm. uh, I just did that. There I you go. The, I, that's I did, right. I did, I do have a book, biblically functioning <clears throat> church, mm-hmm. uh, which is right there. There we go. And um, that w- I wrote that uh, over ten years ago on the subject of ecclesiology, and I do talk in the church about what's typically referred to as the visible and invisible church mm-hmm. or the universal and local church. Um, but I, I do make this point, and, I, and this is becoming ever increasingly important to mm-hmm. me, is, is it's rare that you can find a passage in the New Testament where the, the word church is not referring to a local church. Okay. It's almost always pointing to either the church at Corinth or the church okay. here or the church. Very rare do we see that term mm-hmm. used of the the. Moreover, you see that used of the body of Christ. I see. We I would say the 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 capital C church is the body of Christ all over the world. When I take communion mm-hmm. on Sunday morning, there's there's people in Afghanistan, there's mm-hmm. people in China, there's people all over the world that are taking that same communion at the same time, and we are all sharing in one body. We've all been baptized in the one yep in one church, Amen. and that's the capital C church. That is the body of Christ. Okay. And so uh, typically when I say church, I'm referring to the local church because, I, because I, again, when you go through and you read through Acts, you read through, the church is the church at, mm-hmm. the church at Corinth, or the right. church in Galatia, the churches of Galatia. It's that local church. I see. That, 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 um, so that's not to say that the body of Christ doesn't make up the church, mm-hmm. but I just, in my own teaching, I've begun to sort of come away from mm-hmm. The universal church language to simply say the universal body of Christ or the whole I body see. of Christ because a, a church, the assembly, right. is what meets together. Ecclesia, yeah. And this is, and I'll tell you why too. And, and I don't want to take too much of a tangent. No, it's but, okay. We're talking about ecclesiology. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, ecclesia, yeah. Well, people maybe have heard me say this before. I've said this in lessons on this subject. Uh, when some when I meet somebody and I say, "Hey, do you go to church?" They say, mm-hmm. "Well, I am the church." That's oh. a big common okay. refrain. 
Because what they're saying is, I'm part of the universal church, therefore I don't need to go to church. I see. And I say, you're not the church, mm -hmm. because the word church, ecclesia, it does mean the called out ones, but mm -hmm. actually uh, uh, it means the assembly. Right. It's the assembly of those mm -hmm. called. And so you can't assemble by yourself. <laughs> and so when yeah. somebody says, I am the church, no, you're not. Right. I, did, I mm -hmm. takes it away. Because right. when you say, I am the church, right. you're not an assembly all by yourself. No matter how big I am, I'll never be an assembly <laughs> all by myself. So, uh, you know, that's another reason mm -hmm. why I've become more specific mm -hmm. with my language. And when I refer to the church, I'm referring to a local church. I see. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Um, so last thing on this, and then we'll move into Act 6, where we start to get a little bit more organization. Yep. If someone, uh, and you're talking about apostle, because this is so important. When I when I teach the New Testament, especially we're in 2 Timothy now with my connect group, and we're about to get to that all-important chapter 3, mm -hmm. verse 16, about Scripture being God-breathed. Yep. When the number one question when we're done with that is if someone uh, picks up some other piece of, of literature, say this book, say your book that you wrote, and they were to say, okay, um, what if the author of this said, I am a capital A apostle? Why can they not say that, and what grounds would you use for, for, uh, for pushing back on that claim? Or anyone throughout church history, say there's a document from 500 AD mm -hmm. that someone says this has the same authority as the scriptures that we have because it was from an apostle because they claim to be or something. What What is the category or what is the what is the gate, if you will, that guards the, the capital A office of apostle that you would say, how would you describe that? That's a good question. And, and one, I, I guess I haven't thought about, but I'll give you my initial thoughts. Mm -hmm. And, and this, this may develop as I, as I think through this. My initial thoughts, if somebody said that to me, I would say, uh, upon what grounds mm -hmm. are they claiming this this authority because even the apostle paul um who was of course called directly by christ on the on the mm -hmm. uh, on the road to damascus uh, you know where paul was going on the road to damascus kill christians no he was going to damascus the where he was going it's a joke. Oh, it's a bad thanks. joke. I appreciate that. <laughs> it's a yeah. great dad joke. If you ever ask, ask your students, where was Paul going on the road to Damascus? Who's buried in Grant's tomb, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> sorry. Wow. <laughs> Edit that out. That's not. That's that's going away. <laughs> okay. So, <clears throat> Paul is on the way to Damascus. Right. The uh, Christ appears to him. Mm -hmm. He sees the risen Christ. Okay. One of the um, one of the things that is an affirmation of an apostle i would would say is mm -hmm. the is the um commissioning by christ mm -hmm. and i would say the 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 actual commissioning directly not okay. just the commissioning of the church which has the authority mm -hmm. to commission pastors and elders and we'll talk about that later right. but the direct commissioning of christ <clears throat> so Paul has that, mm -hmm. but he calls himself something in 1 Corinthians 15. He, he identifies himself in a very unique way. Mm -hmm. He says, I was born out of season, okay. meaning, in, in, at least the way I understand it, meaning I am I'm the one unique as opposed to the others. The others have were from the beginning. Mm -hmm. They they walked with, and even when they were choosing between um, Matthias and, and, and Justice, mm -hmm. they, and they chose Matthias, um, they... Um, they choose him by casting lots, and we know what happened in the upper room. Mm -hmm. But the idea was so he had to be there from the beginning. Right. Like there had to, there, there was a pedigree that was mm -hmm. required for this person. And uh, I'm right about that, Matthias, right? Am I, yeah, yeah. The name right? I, I, so I'm thinking because I named my son after the other one. Yeah, okay. My son Justice is named after the unchosen. Well, we yeah. Uh, let's just yeah. go right over <laughs> here <laughs> to uh, <laughs> Acts chapter, Acts chapter one, one, right? Yeah, yes. and and uh, I. I 
I'm sitting here opining, and I'm thinking, uh, uh, I think it's in Matthias and Jesse. To, to the listener, be like the noble Bereans, yeah, who, when they the had a question, they said, search the scriptures to see if these were so. Yeah, Matthias chosen to replace replace Judas. Yeah, so yeah. Matthias gets chosen, but he has to be there from the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Paul says, I'm not like them. Mm-hmm. I wasn't there from the beginning. I see. I was born out of season. I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't birthed into this apostleship like they were. Mm-hmm. And then in the book of Galatians, it tells us that he actually went, and he he went to Galatia not necessarily to get their approval, but mm-hmm. to to assure that his gospel was their gospel, and they were all preaching the same thing. Right. But when he was there, he did get their essentially a seal of approval. There was there was a there was a certain uh, sense in which they they gave him their blessing and, mm-hmm. and there was a there was a unified belief that this guy is an apostle I like see. us. So 500 years later nobody has that ability. Okay. Nobody can go uh, okay. to the other apostles and and receive that. And I and I do think that, that that's why we talk about the apostolic age and mm-hmm. it ending with John, of course, the last one of the 12 to die. This age, this time was unique. Mm-hmm. It was a time of birth. It was mm-hmm. a time of new. And it was a time of inscripturation, which is unique. And, 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 and that's something else. If you look at the time where scripture is, is, is primarily being written, you mm-hmm. go back to Moses and he's writing the books of, of the uh, Torah. Mm-hmm. There's all of these things that are happening and, and, and they're being written about as they're happening. You know, mm-hmm. he's writing <laughs> Exodus in the Exodus. That's right. what, yeah, what, yeah. So, so we, we come to the gospels and acts, they're being written about 30 years later, mm-hmm. essentially, but it's in the acts is being written as these things are sort of coming about and 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 and, and after. But but it, it, these are all within this time frame. Mm-hmm. You get five hundred years later. There's just not that proximity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I would have a really hard time with somebody who said, you know, I'm an, uh, this guy was an apostle in the fifth century. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, there's by what confirmation? Uh-huh. You know, did Jesus like there was a pastor here in Jacksonville who said Jesus <laughs> I visited know him who you're talking about and sat couple on his porch a couple of Easter's ago? Yeah, yeah. And, it's like Jesus came and sat on my porch and we had coffee or I, mean, I don't know what it yeah, was. It was yeah. ridiculous. And, and it's like, you know, there's no confirmation in that. Mm-hmm. You know, the Apostle Paul was confirmed by the other apostles. He was confirmed by his works. Mm-hmm. He was confirmed by miracles. Mm-hmm. He was confirmed um, uh, by, by, work, by Peter. By, yeah, by the working in, spirit. By in Peter. the text of, of his letter, yeah. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, because he said that what he writes is scripture. You know, yep. he, he yep. c- uh, confirms mm-hmm. it as scripture. So we have, we have no way to confirm mm-hmm. a man today. And and again, I, I think this is why we have that passage at the end of Revelation, which you know, where there's often argument about when 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 John says, "Don't add anything to this book." Mm-hmm. I do believe that that's directly related to Revelation. Okay. However, Revelation, as in the divine concept or the, no, book? the book. Okay. The right. book. The, the the book of the Revelation <clears throat> ends with "Don't add or take away from this yep. book." So, in the context, historically and grammatically, that's related to the book of Revelation. Gotcha. Because we see other similar statements made in other Old Testament books about not adding or taking away from the Word of God, right? Mm-hmm. So, so mm-hmm. that so that concept is we should never add or take away from the Word of God. So, but it also bookends the last thing written by mm-hmm. an apostle, and. It's about the last things that are going to happen in the world, mm-hmm. the end of all things, the, right. the consummation. And so when you come along later and say, hey, I got something to add, well, what are you adding to? It's right, already, it, right. We've already got the end of the story. Yeah. What, what, what could you possibly add to the end? Uh-huh. So, you know. I think there's a verse in Jude where he refers to the once for all delivered to the saints' faith. 
I talked about that when I just preached through Jude recently. Okay. And that particular phrase, and you you actually said it right, because okay. in, in English we translate it weird, but, it, but it's the once for all delivered to the saint's faith. Yeah. And that's the yeah. way it is in Greek, and it, and it's it sounds funny, but that's what he's saying. I, I, so I, I studied German in college, mm-hmm. and so German word order seems so strange to English ears, yeah. and, and it is, but... Um, Awkward constructions like that are not uncommon because often they're trying to tell you something based upon the order of the words. It's, it's it matters. Like you know. Yeah. Anyway, but that's topic for another time. No, absolutely. So, okay. So so someone, if I could, in summary, and you can just say yes or no, a capital A office holding apostle is one of the twelve plus Paul, um, <laughs> yeah. and you know Matthias and Judas. So you know. Um, and what about the Gospel of Judas? No, I'm kidding. We don't need to go there. It's just. First century Gnostic nonsense or whatever. Actually, I think doing. that was fourth century Gnostic. Okay, Jude, I'm thinking Judas, of Thomas. Thomas, and I, and I contend possibly second century. Some, okay. some argue for first century, but most of those people are, are liberals who are trying Absolutely. to stick it in to get it into the point. little Jesus work. seminar action exactly. there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. It's okay. So capital A apostles, someone who had a commissioning or an encounter with, re- with the resurrected Christ. Yes. Um, who uh, the church from the very beginning accepted their authority. Um, and what they wrote that we have that God has chosen to give us is, we believe, Scripture. That's Is that a good summary of a capital A apostle? Yeah, okay. absolutely. And then a lowercase a apostle is just more of a descriptor, and if if you wanted to call your pastor an apostle or a missionary or something, that's fine as long as you clear that up. Yeah, it, cool. wouldn't, it wouldn't be, like I said, that, that, that wouldn't, it wouldn't make it or break it for me. Gotcha. If that was the way the, the, the church had defined. Okay, yeah. cool. So then something something really important happens in Acts chapter 6, though. And so, uh, in Acts chapter 6, we get the first taste that um, maybe this sort of, and pardon the term because it's all, of course, God's church in the first, in the first five chapters, uh, this sort of Wild West, like the Holy Spirit <laughs> running all over the place, and, and, and I've heard a lot, well, we don't need to put strictures on the Holy Spirit. Okay, of course. But the apostles in chapter 6 of the book of Acts were confronted with a problem, and they chose and it was their apostolic right to do so, to establish something in the, in the start of the sixth chapter of Acts. What was that, and what was the problem they were facing? Well, there is... I believe mm-hmm. that this is the proto-diaconate. Okay. Um, some people say this is the commissioning of the first, first deacons. Yes, but I don't think that that is... Um, the, I don't think that that's how they define themselves. Mm-hmm. I think they define themselves as taking the 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 weight of ministry responsibility off of the apostles so that they would not be kept mm-hmm. from the word and prayer. Mm-hmm. This is what they say. They mm-hmm. say that, and and I've often said this I I, I say pastors are not what you got Sorry, I was just uh, so uh, yeah. this is just a sheet that has uh, Acts chapter six and then First Timothy because we'll get into that. Yeah, too. absolutely. Just, just to have handy. So they 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 say you know we we don't want to be kept from the word and prayer, mm-hmm. and um, that doesn't mean that we're more important or too important mm-hmm. to you know I've said before m- I am not too important to uh, to clean a toilet mm-hmm. or to um, to change a light bulb, and, and as a small church pastor I've done all of those. things. I imagine you have, but. The most important thing that I do is study to to prepare the sermon that is mm-hmm. going to feed the flock and to pray for the people. Mm-hmm. And so my most important duties are not counseling or meeting people or 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 all any of these things. My most important duty is is preaching and teaching the word and uh, prayer. Mm-hmm. And so anything that would take away from that 
becomes a distraction from mm-hmm. the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And so this is where the apostles saw themselves. They saw themselves dealing with what could essentially have been the first church split. Yeah. We've all seen church splits. You're right. Where the, the Hellenistic, uh, which is the Greek-speaking Jewish people, were, were having issues with the Hebrew-speaking Jewish people, and there was a feeling like, like there was a division, and there was a, a... Some make a big deal about social justice and racism. Yeah, I've heard that well, It was just... There was just a disagreement mm-hmm. about who was getting uh, treated fairly mm-hmm. in regard to the distribution of food and um and which tells us something about what they had to face then because mm-hmm. most of us in churches are not distributing food to our members now That's some right. are yep. i mean I, I preach at a church every thursday that is a, a recovery ministry mm-hmm. called set free and they do i mean they got to feed those guys three days a week yeah. or three day, three times a day cuz those guys live there and so they have to deal with things that you and I in our church probably don't have to deal with yeah. because we have people that come to church and then they go home mm-hmm. and they eat lunch at home and yep. they all have food. Yep. Um, but Unless we're in, potlucking. Yeah, exactly. And then we, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But the church was having to deal with people who had been displaced, who had been put mm-hmm. out of their homes, they had been uh, lost jobs, mm-hmm. all for the sake of Christ. And so they're, they're ministering to a unique portion mm-hmm. uh, of the mm-hmm. body in regard to historically. And so... In the midst of this, they say, "Okay, we need to we need to choose some guys to take this job mm-hmm. and do it well." Mm-hmm. And so they say, "Choose from among you these men," which is interesting in and of itself. Is they don't go about choosing; they say, right. "Choose from among yourselves." Right. And um, and I think there's a model there which we may talk about later. But but basically, allowing the church to recognize within itself gifted men, mm-hmm. and um, then commissioning them to a task. Okay. And, 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 and so the reason why I say this proto-diaconate, because we don't see anything in this text about qualifications other than, and you have it here, so I might as well read yeah, go it. Ahead. There's, um, it says, pick out from among yourselves, this is verse three, pick out from among you seven men of good, re- of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So he's telling them to pick out seven men. He's saying they need to have good reputation, be full of the spirit. Well, that's two qualifications. Mm-hmm. Later, when Paul is writing about the office of deacon, the qualifications are expanded. Yes. They would they're not necessarily changed because mm-hmm. everything that Paul says is good rep is of good repute Indeed. and is, is full of the spirit. Indeed. So <clears throat> what we see is more specifics later. Mm-hmm. And therefore I would say this is a protodiaconate which gives way mm-hmm. to the full more more full orbed office of the diaconate, which we see in, in Paul's letter. Okay. Would you say the apostles here are acting as a proto-eldership over a church? Indeed. Okay, you Indeed. think that that parallel holds? Uh, yes. The The only the only real distinction, I would say, is um, because we do see we do see little a apostles, mm-hmm. like Barnabas is called an apostle, yep. and yep. even the brother of Jesus, James, who wrote the apostle, epistle of James, is not one of the original 12. Right. So they're called apostles, but um, I don't think with the same... Uh, as the capital A. Apostle. I got you. I don't see them as being on the same level as Paul or, or okay. Peter or them. Um, so when you see that, I think that there is a a, a transitional point. Mm-hmm. That's why I said Peter will later call himself an elder. Yes, he will. Paul never calls himself an elder, though, mm-hmm. which is interesting. He always calls himself an apostle, which that's it's actually come up in conversation with within my own conversation with other people about eldership about was Paul really an elder? Mm-hmm. Because Paul, we would see maybe as a church planter, mm-hmm. an evangelist, an apostle, but was he an elder? Mm-hmm. Did he function as an elder in the same way as maybe Peter did in mm-hmm. his own church? Or perhaps Timothy. 
Oh yeah, and, mm-hmm. and, and 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 when you look at the qualifications, like Paul is not married, mm-hmm. he talks about being married and things like that. At least that we know of. Yeah. So so these are questions that come up. Was was Paul functioning in that role, or was he more of a you know? Because we know he planted churches, we mm-hmm. know he was an evangelist. And sure do. So does that again mm-hmm. sort of further widen that distinction? Yeah. But would we say the apostles are functioning as proto elders? Yes. Okay. I I, I I would have no issue with that. Okay. And. Uh, for the listener, if you want to check in and see what one of the first things the deacons did, I would invite you to read Acts chapter 7, which was Stephen preaching the gospel from the Old Testament. Um, one of the very first things he did was starting all the way back at Abraham. Yep. And he's preaching to the Sanhedrin, who would have known this story, and yep. then at the very end he puts the finger right at them and says, and you crucified this guy, and then they stoned him for it. Yep. And you know what's so interesting to me is something I noticed here. It says Paul was there, Saul, excuse me, at the time, Saul yep. was there giving approval or, or you know, it was, was people were laying their cloaks at his feet or something like that. There's some phrase like that. The same Paul who either martyred or, or at least was present and approving of the martyrdom of Stephen is the same one who wrote us the pastoral epistles that lays out what a deacon is supposed <laughs> to be. Yeah. I find it so interesting that he watched the very first deacon go down under a hail of stones And so, and then obviously post his experience on the road to Damascus, he now knows this is what a deacon is supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah, I find that so, so interesting how the Holy Spirit weaved that. Okay. So in a, in a modern church, so we've covered apostles and what that word might mean in a modern church, um, in 2022, uh, what does it, does it, okay, let's start with this. Does a church have to have deacons? Um, and if they do, what do they do in today's church? This is an area that uh, I, I I think there could be some disagreement, but I I would say that a, a church rightly constituted mm-hmm. would have a, at least two elders mm-hmm. and, and at least one deacon. Okay, but that is not to say that a church plant mm-hmm. would automatically have to have that right away. I see. Um, okay, so so. Um, here's here's my argument. I, I, the 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 concept of the presbyteros, the elders, mm-hmm. the, the 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 episcopos, overseers, is and that's one office. Mm-hmm. The office of, of sometimes translated bishop, sometimes translated pastor, um, or uh, elder. Um, it's always in the plural mm-hmm. when Paul is addressing them in churches, and when he says he's raising them up in churches, it's always in the plural. So uh, I have a really difficult time with a church that is single pastor led. Okay. Um, I'm not saying it's necessarily sinful mm-hmm. um, because I, I, you know, I, I understand there there are things that happen, um, but I don't think it's wise. I see. Uh, I think it, you end up in, in the churches that I have seen. Oftentimes, you end up with a little Protestant pope who I see. has no no one who is going to call him. Now they'll call him out on the color of the carpet, mm-hmm. but nobody's going to call him out on his doctrine of the Trinity. Oof. Yeah, I understand. And, and so, you know, you get guys who are um, they, they start going off into la la land mm-hmm. theologically, and there's no one else in the church. And I've actually heard this not with my own ears, but mm-hmm. I've heard this through another individual mm-hmm. um, that he was friends with a pastor, and the pastor said, "You know, I'm the one who went to seminary. Oh. These people really don't know what I know. Mm-hmm. Who are they to question me?" Mm-hmm. I know, I know exactly. It makes you just want to just. I'm itchy now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and when you get that, mm-hmm. you got a guy who is in serious danger. You got some problems. Yeah. yeah. If there's no one who can say to him, 
um, you know, how'd you come to that conclusion? Mm-hmm. Right. That's, that's a question, right. you know, that, that we ask some here, around here sometimes. You know, you just said something, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure I agree. How did you come to that conclusion? Right. I understand. And I think that's a legitimately kind way mm-hmm. of saying, what you talking about, Willis? Because that, that's, that's really what you're thinking. <laughs> yeah, right? you, know, what you, you are. What you talking about? Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, how did you get there? Yeah, let's and, exegete that together. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, whereas in some churches where there is only one pastor, mm-hmm. one elder, there is seemingly no one mm-hmm. to be the, um, and he's the arbiter mm-hmm. of what's right and what's wrong. And there's no one to to call him to account. So I think I think a plurality of elders is is necessary, mm-hmm. and, and plurality just means two or more, at least one person that can come to you and and, mm-hmm. and, and act in, in that sense as your equal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have, on the other hand, uh, the need for a deacon. I think this is more needed than anybody realizes. Okay, our church functions right now. We, you know, our membership, you know, around a hundred. And we function with three elders and four deacons. Okay. And each one of the deacons is assigned a um, list mm-hmm. of people in the church, and they are expected, and they know that they are expected, to be in contact with their list for as long as they have that list. And the okay. list will change. Okay. So now, it, and your church does formalize membership roles. Yes. Okay. Um, uh, and, and, and well, that's that's a that's a whole other topic. It is. Yeah. Because we yeah. Do, we do have formal membership, but our formal membership is. Um, we are we we are commonly purging the role, okay? Because we don't believe in having an unrealistic role. Okay. If we had a role that had everybody who's ever joined this church, it'd be 300, 300 names. No, we yeah. our our church goes back to the sixties. It would be thousands. Yeah, and it's not. I mean, we're one fifty on a Sunday, exactly. Plus, plus kids men, so maybe two hundred souls on the campus. Exactly. Yeah. So. We are very, in fact, that's part of the deacons and mm-hmm. what they do. They help us keep up with who is active in the body. And if we begin to see someone who is being inactive, mm-hmm. they're, they're the first line of defense. Mm-hmm. They're the first phone call. Hey, okay. haven't seen you in church in two weeks. Okay. What's up? Um, you know, you've been out of town. Are you sick? And, and, and if we know that beforehand, we'd have already contacted them. Yeah. We know they were sick or know whatever. Yeah, yeah. Or if they've already told us, hey, we're going to be out of town for two weeks. We're going to, uh, you know, pay homage to the mouse in Orlando, which I hope they're not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at this point, I mean, yeah, you know. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. If, they, if we know what they're doing, we know where they're at. Or if somebody, you know, we used to have a couple that, was, um, that owned a house in the mountains. They were gone three months a year. Because they went, they were retired, and okay. so they were they you know they would go up there during the best season, and so three months out of the year we didn't need to call them or check up on them, and we would still keep in contact. But it I wasn't see. we weren't worried. I see. when we saw them gone for a okay. couple of weeks, but um, so the deacons are in our church, and I do believe this is biblical. The deacons are helping us manage the body. Okay, there's so many more of them than there are of us. Right. And um, by us, you're referring to yourself and the other elders. Yeah. Okay. There, there, there's, let's just say 100 people. Mm-hmm. There's three of us. And you say, well, there's only four deacons. Yes, but they're not doing all that we're doing. They're doing this. They're keeping up with that. I and, see. and when we meet, we meet once a month. The first thing we do is we say, okay, let's go down your list. You tell us mm-hmm. how the folks are doing. Is there anybody here that needs a visit from an elder? Mm-hmm. Is there anybody here who needs attention? Is there anybody here who feels like they're not being ministered to well? Because you've had a conversation with them, and hopefully you've asked that question. Uh, you know, recently that you know we had a, a, a situation where we just realized a person felt neglected. Mm-hmm. Okay, we need to know that. Yeah, if they for sure. Because none of us have n- intentionally done that. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, this person feels neglected. We need to address that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so 
they are that for us. Now, do they do other things? Yes. Uh, one of them is gifted um, in, in regard to um, technology, sort of like yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he takes care of our website. He helps on the finance team. So he does some other I, things. I, you know, what, what, what I'm hearing when you say all this is what the apostles said in Acts 6 is it is not good that we should give up prayer in the ministry of the word in order to wait tables. That's right. And immediately we think, well, how snobby and elitist, you know, what? No, they've been serving with Jesus. They've been feeding people. Like, this, this is nothing new to them, but they recognize the hierarchy of the importance of what they have to do. That's right. And so th- what I'm hearing all that you say there is, and if there are any single pastors of small churches out there who you are uh, the chair setter-upper and you're fixing roof leaks and plumbing toilets, we're not saying that an elder should be above that or That's should right. think that that is menial work, but that is not his primary task. Yep. And, yep. and if, if the New Testament has given us a solution to that, and I, I think we're in agreement that it has, we should take it. And, and I also say this. I've been pastor of the same church for 16 years, mm-hmm. and it hasn't always been the way it is now. So did you establish the deacons here, or did you in concert with your eldership establish deacons here? The story is long, okay. so I'll make it short. When I when I came here, I was already on staff as an associate pastor. The okay. other pastor retired. I became the pastor. And there was already an eldership, and mm-hmm. there was already a diaconate, but neither one of them were functioning biblically. I understand. And so— Is that perhaps that is, why we were that, wanting to find a biblically functioning <laughs> church? Yes. In fact, I— this, Dear re, uh, uh, viewer? Yeah, I don't know if it's going to go blurry, but— yeah. Your, your beard was much is much cooler now. It is. It's much fuller. Yeah. And, and if I had it to do over again, I would not have put my picture on You wouldn't on have done that? Door. No, yeah, okay. that was awful. I got you. Uh, <laughs> again, I was— 29 years old when I wrote that. I see. So, uh, but now you're raking in all that big, uh, that, that big book revenue and royalties. Not right? a dime. Just doing this, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. So in 2008, we mm-hmm. went through a period of, of sort of re- reformatting the church because of some things that had happened. And I did almost an entire year of sermons mm-hmm. on the church, on ecclesiology, okay. starting with who's the head of the church. Christ. Yep. What? How does he yep. govern the church? Through the word. Those, those. It was that foundational. I see. And that's how the book starts. So that foundational. Who's the head of the church? How does he govern? You know, mm-hmm. governs through the word. Elder's job is to interpret the word and to teach it and to govern by it. Mm-hmm. Therefore, Christ is still governing the church through his word. He's just doing it through the work, the hands and feet of the... The, uh, the under-shepherds. Yes, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. So Christ is still the head. You know, this is not Keith Fossey's church. This is not anybody mm-hmm. else's church. This is Christ's church. And so in that regard, we have this very important understanding of, of the role of the elders as being the mouthpiece of the Bible. Mm-hmm. The Bible's the... Thus the, saith the Lord. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we, our eldership, we used to have a, we had a board of mm-hmm. directors and we had a um, committees for everything. I mean, there's committees for shoe tying. I mean, it was <laughs> ridiculous. And so one of the... little gallows humor here because my church is in, and was in, in many ways similar. Okay, yeah. so all of these committees and all of these. I remember one time I changed the order of worship mm-hmm. for something. I just moved a song or did something. Right. And afterwards, one of the elders at the time, mm-hmm. who again was not functioning as an elder, as I would say an elder should function, came to me and he goes, um, uh, "Why'd you move that song?" And I told mm-hmm. him, and he goes, "Well, who gave you permission to do that?" He said, "Did you go to the worship <laughs> committee?" Oh my. I said, uh, no. Oh my. <laughs> and it started this sort of big thing. Well, you have to go to the worship committee if you're going to move things around. Oh boy. And so, yeah. And like I said, I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I, yeah. yeah I and, and so that, that sort of became a little snafu. But that, again, all that gave birth to 
Now you were, but you said you were an associate pastor at the time. No, 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 no. That was after I became a pastor. Okay, so I was. So, so you're, a, but so you're a pastor, and you had elders coming to you and saying you need to get permission to do that. Yes. So it was clearly not a, a an equality perceived between the two of you, was it? No. This. Okay. The, the, and again, the story is long and legendary about all the things that happened. There were elders who were who began to um, we began to have issues over Calvinism and things, and it became everything I did was a problem, mm. and so. Yeah, in 2008, uh, I thought I was leaving. I thought I was going to have to resign because it was so bad. But God kept me here mm-hmm. and has continued to keep me here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there, there. So, like I said, that's a podcast for another day. I understand. But, but all in all, we had to reformat mm-hmm. the church and say, okay, we've got this board of directors that's over everything, even mm-hmm. the elders. The elders, the elders reported to the board of directors. I keep going. I want to say something. Okay. That, but. So we said. We're going to mm-hmm. put the elders over the board, mm-hmm. and now we don't even have the board anymore. Mm-hmm. But since then, it became because the first thing that happened after that, we had our first board meeting. The elders were in charge, and everybody said, "Well, what's the board for?" We we're like, "Exactly, <laughs> you picked up what we're putting down because this is the point." Right, and right. that did lead to a little bit of contention because, yep. well, why do we still have a board? You're right, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, imagine yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, it's just and you're gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like, it's like I dream of genie, right? It was That's like, right, yeah. And, and and again, that created some 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 difficulty, but it was what it was. You know, we just did this exercise at my own church, and I want to I want to keep it as an interview interview for you. But we did this Please. exercise at my own church, um, in which there was a guy uh, worked for something called Blessing Point Ministries, yep. um, a gentleman named Mark Bernard. Well, I'll be honest, I was a little skeptical at first because. The parachurch type organizations that come in and don't worry, we're the consultants that are going to fix your church. I just have a natural allergic reaction to that. I always I think just... about office space. Exactly. The yeah, yeah, yeah. The bobs are here. What do you? What do, would you say you, you do, do here? here? Yeah. I work with the customers. <laughs> I'm like... a people person. Yeah. <laughs> What's we're wrong not, with you people? We're not going to finish the rest of that quote. We're not doing. <laughs> Very unsanctified. Uh, yes, that's an uh, listener. You did not hear that. Part, that was yeah. a, watch it on VidAngel. That's right. There you go. That's that's it. That's it. Um, but we had to go back into our church's history. We went all the way back to when it was founded, which was there was an I it grew out of a community club down in Switzerland, Florida, mm-hmm. and so uh, we were literally a country club church. I mean, like that's a pejorative. That's an insult used when people when people show up and they want something from the church rather than giving to it. That's right. And you say that and it's like it's an insult and, and, and all that, but like that was literally our foundation. It was a group of people at a community club with godly motives who wanted to start a church, yeah. but it held on to a lot of that. And so anyway, long, 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 long story short, in this investigation, one of the things that we found was that at the start, there was a board of officers is what it was called. It's in the church charter. We still have it. It's on yellowed paper and all that. Oh, it's wow. a historical document from the 1964 or whatever. It's a board of officers is what it was called. And they called a pastor. And this board, it was treasurer and all that. So it was a financial aspect to it. And we did not get elders until the late 80s. So mm-hmm. the church functioned with single pastor and a board for 25, 30 years or so. Yeah. Well, the problem that created is this went all the way up into the mid 2016s, 2015 to 2018, sometime in that range, where and by then it, had, it was simply called the council. It mm-hmm. was the council of officers, but it was just simply referred to as the church council. Yep. Believed themselves to be deacons because we used the qualifications for deacons to qualify someone for that board, mm. and they were told they were deacons at times, but they weren't doing what deacons did. 
And they're good, godly men on that board that did great things. But the problem is they came into conflict with the elders. There were times where the elders said, this is what God has for our church. And the council simply said, okay, that's fine, but we're not going to fund it. Like, mm. we, we disagree. There was turmoil there. And <clears throat> yeah. so the reason this is so – the reason I want to interview on this and this is so close to my heart is because I'm finding – and people may roll their eyes when they hear this. I'm finding when you do things the way the New Testament says, things tend to work better. <laughs> um, it just it God has a design for His church, and I want to know what that is, and that that's what actually prompted this topic um, in in the interview with you. Archer is going to be commissioning its first deacons officially in about four weeks. I'm one of them, which is really exciting. Wonderful. Um, we have three elders, we have a couple of pastors, and that leads us into our next category. Um, before we get out of deacons, and I know we kind of took a long detour around about stuff, but I think it was profitable. Is there anything you wanted to say about Paul's qualifications for deacons that we find in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Two quick things. Um, the first is the qualifications are very similar to what is given for elders. So uh, the, the biggest distinction is elders have to be able to teach and the deacons don't. Um, so therein lies sort of when we start talking about elders. Yeah, the, which you we'll know, go to in a, just a an minute. An elder has to be able to do that. That's not saying a deacon can't. You already said, Stephen preached a sermon. Yep. You've preached sermons. You've mm -hmm. taught the Bible. That, that that you know, We're not saying deacons are ignorant of the word or can't mm -hmm. do it, but it's not a requirement mm -hmm. uh, that they be able to. And so you, know, you could have a man who is not gifted to teach, but is gifted to serve. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. what one gift does the deacon have to have? He has to have the gift of service. You have to, that's he, what the word means, is That's it not? right. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I did preach a sermon on this just a few weeks ago because we commissioned another deacon, uh, uh, our fourth deacon. Mm -hmm. And I said, if he's not gifted to serve, then he's not gifted to be a deacon. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> that's ab above all. Now, the second thing is how your church is going to manage the question of female deacons. Yep. And I, I don't, again, another podcast, another time, but there is a question about 1 Timothy 3 specifically when it refers to women, mm -hmm. gunikos, whether or not that's referring to their women or their wives, which would be the um, way that ESV translates mm -hmm. it. Yeah, it says uh, there in verse 11. Yeah, um, whereas in, uh, I believe it's New American Standard Bible, it just says women. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's where you get like the MacArthur position, where John MacArthur would say there are women deacons, mm -hmm. and I, I would I would not allow that to be a divisive point if I were going to a church. But in our church, we only commission men mm -hmm. to the role of deacons. Mm -hmm. We do believe that this refers to wives of deacons. Okay. But I, I I say that saying that there are some questions about that interpretation. Okay. And uh, particularly in regard to uh, the questions that come up are. One, if there's if there are if there are qualifications for the wives of deacons, why not for the elders? So, that's a good question. So that's a good question about exegetically. Mm -hmm, why mm -hmm. is this here? Uh, and and secondly, uh, that in regard to what they are called, their the qualifications are so similar to that of a, a deacon. Uh, it would it would be um, it would be reasonable to assume mm -hmm. that this is is its own thing. Okay. The only thing, though, I would say on the other side, my side, yeah, is. We we the deacon is referenced in eight. The deacon is referenced in twelve, mm -hmm. and therefore it seems odd from a linguistic position to throw in women deacons in eleven, if if that's its own thing, mm -hmm. rather than it being tied to what came before and what came after. I see. And so I see it as tying to the deacons and the the wives of deacons. Okay, so you would, and so that brings up something. I hope we don't. I mean, we don't have to go too far into. But if you had someone who had that gift, mm -hmm. but they were married to someone. Who who was 
had lots of issues, let's say, They're not in, qualified. in verse 11, you would say, I'm, I'm sorry, but You're not qualified. You, have, you have a marriage issue you need to work out. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And, yep. and, and I don't mean that to sound brash or that it's easy to say yeah, that. Yeah, sure. But no, uh, uh, and, and I would say the same thing uh, would, would go for a pastor. And, okay. and I would actually, going back up, if you mm-hmm. go back up to the qualification, it's not on this, mm-hmm. but if you go back up to the qualifications for elders, it talks about managing his household well. Mm-hmm. And therefore, his wife is implicitly referred to in that. That's a fair point. Because if, he's, if he has a wife who is an unbeliever or if he has a wife who is, who is not managing the home with him, mm-hmm. is not submissive to him in the home and those things, he's not managing his household well. I see. So his wife is implicitly referred to in that. Uh, this specifically still doesn't satisfy every question about why wives specifically have deacons. And, and one of the things that I do think it, that we can extrapolate from this is that the role of deacon in the, in the act of service is something that the wife can participate in. For sure. Mm-hmm. And, and especially in our church, all of our deacons, their wives are exemplary servants themselves. Mm-hmm. And therefore, um, we encourage a working together. Mm-hmm. Now, not in regard to um, things that are deacon business. Mm-hmm. We don't encourage the women to come into the business meeting and, and have a say. And I, I, and I, don't, I don't mean to say, well, we want to keep them quiet or anything, but it, but they're not they're not involved in the meetings. But in things like calling on the sick and things like mm-hmm. that, they we certainly encourage that. We have uh, one of our deacons is in charge of our fellowship ministry and his wife is a great cook and she does all the food and does all, so Wonderful. all of those things are, are they, they work together. Okay. And so if, if a man has a, a wife who is not committed to supporting him in that, mm-hmm. whether it's elder or deacon, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't see him as qualified. I see. Not that yet. could be a big. That could be a big drag on his ability to minister. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. And uh, before we close out deacons, something I learned just in preparing this and some other stuff is if you go back to and this is something I we had this dinner with our deacon candidates and I was me and another gentleman named Mike Smith, which I understand <laughs> is the name of your deacon. Yeah. That you just commissioned. Um, our elders gave us what and. He's a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force, so this is the terminology used. He said, we got battlefield promotions, essentially. Mm. And that was basically an exercise exercise of the elders' authority in sort of an urgent situation. We had the the gentleman who was our, our lead pastor uh, resigned a couple months ago, mm-hmm. um, and there was he was shouldering a lot of that congregational care and, and um, counseling and, and sick visits and all that sort of thing. And so our eldership, who were uh, not full-time pastors, if you will, that were just they, – they, they held other careers and stuff like that, still all three of them good, great godly men, gave us what they called – as he called it, battlefield promotions to say we need help right now, yep. and then we'll get through this transition. And their justification for that, and I think it was good, was that Act 6 appears to happen in like an afternoon because mm. you've got people who are hungry. Sure. You can't do a 60-day process and then figure out how we feed hungry people, you know? Sure. And now we have the ability to do a little more. And again, like I said, we're going to do it in a few weeks. We're going to be a little more a little, a little more deliberate about it, that sort of thing, but that's good. Um, but one of the things I noticed while we were having this dinner is Mark chapter 10, um, specifically around verse 45, 46. It's like the atonement verse in Mark. You know, the Son of Man came not to be served, uh, yeah, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mm-hmm. It's actually what Mark actually wrote was the Son of Man uh, came not to be deaconed, but, but to, to deacon, deacon. Yep. and to give his he makes it a verb and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I told I, I told our deacons as a proto deacon, I guess you could say, uh, be like Christ. That's the biggest qualification is be like Christ, and and that will you'll never go wrong with that. 
I agree. And that's yeah. very similar to something I said in the sermon that I was preaching on. Yeah. Uh, sort of ended the sermon there yeah. with, if you're looking for an example of what a what a servant looks like, look to your master. Look to Christ. Because yeah. he, was the, he came to serve. Yep. Absolutely. All right, so let's uh, push that clutch in and shift into the next uh, the next gear on this Road Ranger, and we will uh, we'll, we're going to talk about the third office. So we've covered apostles and their function in the early church. We've now covered deacons. Let's talk about the third one. Mm-hmm. So the third one is given a variety of different uh, uh, Greek words, and also we translate them as a variety of different English words. So I'm going to throw these all these words out there, and you sort this alphabet soup around, and you tell me, <laughs> okay, this is this, this is this, this is this. So the New Testament has presbyteros or presbyteros. It has episkopos, episkopos, however you want to pronounce it, and then poimen, uh, shepherd, I guess you would say. Uh, oh, then, then the English words are shepherd, pastor, elder, bishop, overseer. Are these all the same office? Are they all the same role within the same office? What do the words mean? Does one is one like in authority over another? Just kind of lay that out for us, if you would. The office is the same. Okay. Uh, and and I base that not just on my opinion. I base that on on when when Paul is writing to Titus specifically, he uses uh, presbyteros and episkopos interchangeably. Okay. And so we see that in, uh, I have to, it's actually here in the book. If I, oh, it is? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you, look in, you, look, right. you look in the perfect book. That's I'll right, look, yeah, yeah. I yeah. look in the imperfect book. But, but I do reference that passage. Um, what are the requirements or, let's see, responsibilities of the elders, 64. Uh, I see uh, verse 6 and 7. Verse 6 says, an elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife, et cetera, et cetera. Then in verse 7 it says, since an overseer is trusted with God's Yeah, because work. that word elder is translating presbyteros, uh-huh. and the word overseer is pres- episkopos. Episkopos, ep- okay. Episkopos, to, to oversee. So this must uh, be the same office. Yeah, okay. because he's in, in the context, he is using it interchangeably. Okay. So those two offices, at least, are, 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 are used interchangeably by Paul. Therefore, uh, I would say that they are the same office. Okay. Because one is uh, is, is titular, uh, you know, an elder, mm-hmm. and the other is uh, you know is what he does. He oversees. He's an mm-hmm. overseer, and, and so and, and even the same way with shepherd, mm-hmm. he shepherds. I and see. So it, it's it, they can be used together. Now that does not mean that all the elders are the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, that just means all the elders are elders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all the elders are. Pastors, okay. and in our church, we have we have actually sort of moved away from the use of the word elder mm-hmm. to the word pastor. Okay, and the reason for that is because of just colloquial um, sentiment mm-hmm. in churches in the South. The term elder is still somewhat um, odd. You know, my wife, uh, my wife went to a church. I don't. Mean, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. My wife went to a church that was pastor elected by a board of deacons. That was the the uh, the model, and when she first got down here, and I told her we're an elder-led church, she thought it was so pretentious. She, oh. <laughs> elder, what are they, who are these guys calling themselves? Like, oh, we're the wise elders on the mountaintop, or something like that. And so, exactly. she she had a, and it took, of course, we talked through it and all that, but it took it took her some time to to warm up to the idea that okay, this this is a biblical word, this is a good word, yeah. but I still feel weird about it. Yeah, and uh, also those 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 young men that ride around on those ten speeds with mm-hmm. their white shirts and their short sleeves and their oh uh, yes, they're elder so and so. Uh huh. Yes. And so there is a sense in which the 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 cult of mm-hmm. Mormonism has yeah. co-opted the term, 
And therefore, if you introduce yourself as Elder Smith... Yeah, they're expecting they, something. They may think, mm-hmm. and again, not that the culture demands what we do, but we are sensitive to mm-hmm. how people understand things. Therefore, if 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 I and, and Mike and Andy, who are three elders, if all of us introduce ourselves as pastor... Then nobody. The only the only question then is, well, is there a senior pastor? Or, yeah, and we'll I talk, see. We'll talk about that in a minute. I see. But but the idea is okay. But you're still a pastor mm-hmm. because even in churches, like I have a buddy who um, pastors a church in Callahan. Mm-hmm. I just preached there recently. He's a sweet sweet brother. He has an associate pastor. Mm-hmm. I just say he has two elders, but it is a pastor and associate Fair. pastor. In that sense, they're both ordained. Mm-hmm. They're both functioning in a, in, a, in a role that's pastoring the body. Mm-hmm. They work together really well. And so I say they, they've got a plurality of elders. Mm-hmm. They've got two elders. They're both pastors. It's mm-hmm. just they do see themselves as, I hate to say senior and junior, but it's mm-hmm. there's a senior pastor and an associate pastor. Mm-hmm. And that's a term we have avoided here. We, we Rather than saying I'm senior and they're associate or anything like that, what we do in our constitution is we define vocational mm-hmm. and non-vocational. Now, you're, are you a confessional church? Um, we are, okay. 1646 London Baptist. Okay, D- does that touch on this issue at all? A little, but not much. Okay. It's only right. 52 articles, and they were really just trying to differentiate differentiate themselves from the Anabaptists. Okay. <laughs> so primarily, it does deal with some ecclesiology. One of the bigger things that it does is it allows for non-clergy to administer the sacraments. Okay. Which is actually something that the later confession does not. Ah, <laughs> because okay. Because we, right. w- we would allow for... Um, like we allow fathers to baptize our children mm-hmm. because you, we don't believe someone has to be ordained mm-hmm. to administer that that sacrament uh, or ordinance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know there's different. I, I don't have any strong stake on. Oh, that, I know, but, that, but there may be. I, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ordinance of baptism. We will allow fathers to baptize their their children. Um, we've we've done it. It's been very beautiful. Uh, so <clears throat> there. Uh, but but the reason you were asking me if we were confessional was. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we so you said that there was a uh, you had to clarify a lot of this language, and you said that you had elders that weren't functioning very well as elders. Yeah. But now, to clarify that, to be faithful to what the Bible says, but also to be culturally sensitive, you you tend to introduce your three elders as pastors. Yes. Okay. All yeah. Right. But but the the document that we have isn't specific to that I language. See. That's just more. And, and again. Our three elders are the ones that brought in that confession. We weren't always confessional. I see. We've really only recently adopted that confession, and after, uh, you know, it's only been about a year, and we talked through it and everything. So that particular confession was the one we felt best lined up with what we believe and teach. Okay. Um, so that was actually a product of having good elders who ah, were willing okay. to go and study and, and say, this is where we are, this is this is what ties us to a historic church, the historic particular Baptist movement that came out of the uh, of London in the in the, the 1600s. Mm-hmm. So um, but getting back, I know we sort of veered there. That's okay. Getting back to the issue of, um, and I'm trying to remember exactly where I was going, uh, in, in regard to the, the titles, mm-hmm. we don't, um, we don't differentiate, you know, senior associate, but we do differentiate in our constitution which is not the same as the confession. For mm-hmm. those who don't know, churches have a constitution, which is basically a, a, a it's like a it's like a governing document for our business because the church mm-hmm. does conduct financial business. It conducts business within a building, and so sure. we have rules about who who has the capability of 
opening and shutting the building, things like that. Little things yeah. that, that are just not necessarily biblical, but... Perhaps well, bylaws would be another word for What's that? our Constitution bylaws. Yes. Okay, got yeah. it. And got it's it. only six pages long. It's not... That's about where ours is, actually, yeah. Yeah, somewhere around there. And so it says in there that there are two... Um, there, there, There's the vocational elder, mm-hmm. which means um, that he makes his living from being an elder. Mm-hmm. As the scripture says, he who preaches the gospel makes his living from the gospel. So that is a role that right now there's only one of us. Mm-hmm. That's me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the non-vocational elders are men who are giving their time as elders and who exercise the authority of elders or pastors, mm-hmm. but they do not have the same expectations mm-hmm. in regard to responsibility. I see. And that doesn't mean they're any less valuable, mm-hmm. but because the church is supporting me and it's not supporting Brother Mike, who has a business, who mm-hmm. owns a business, and yep. who, who's responsible to be there, you know, 50, 60 hours a week, because he's a he, he works hard. Yeah. Um, there would be no expectation upon him that would be on me in mm-hmm. regard to the time given to the study and preaching. Mm-hmm. And this is why I'm the one who preaches the primary Sunday morning message, because mm-hmm. I'm given to the week to study that for that mm-hmm. message. And um, I do a, a lot of other things within the church that are... Under that scope, I see. So it's it's not so much a, a division of authority, or, or or distinction of authority. I see. As much as it is a distinction of responsibility. Okay, but if if God forbid, Brother Foskey here got hit by a bus um, on a Saturday night, absolutely. Then when your church gathers on the Lord's Day, one of those other two men, and again, it, it have a lack of preparation or whatever because they weren't expecting it. But one of those two men would be qualified and capable of getting up in front and saying, "This is the word of the Lord." Absolutely. Okay. And, and a good uh, example of that is um, my wife is with child. Mm-hmm. And so when we first learned mm-hmm. that she was uh, going to have our sixth child. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, we I went to the elders and I said, hey, um, this is how I told them. Mm-hmm. I didn't tell them we were having a baby. I said, hey, come around September. I'm going to need a few weeks off. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh-huh. they, and they both looked at each other and said, Oh, congratulations. Oh, uh, there you go. They had to figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, they were like, do the math. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the little, little how clock. Do you, how do you Stop know? watching a calendar, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it was like, yeah, I'm going to need uh, several weeks. I see. And they, they're going to give me, uh, I, I we've talked maybe doing four weeks. That, okay. That I may still come to church, mm-hmm. but I won't have to have the duties of through the week preparing. And You won't and have being, that heavy lift. And if I can't be here, if the baby needs me or mama needs me, then I don't have to be here. I see. And, and, and that's a wonderful blessing to have other men who are capable of, of preaching and teaching who, if I if I did wake up unable to speak mm-hmm. or unable to move because mm-hmm. I had hurt myself or something, uh, I have that. And, and, um, and, and like I said, we do a lot of other sharing of responsibilities. Like, for instance, during the resurrection season, mm-hmm. we have several messages in a row where for years... I was the one who did all the messages because we did have elders, mm-hmm. but only recently have I had elders raised up that have desire to preach. The elders we had before, one was um, had a had a little bit of a speech impediment; it was a little hard mm-hmm. for him. There was another who um, had a uh, just he had a desire to teach Sunday school, but he didn't really have a, a, a he didn't feel confident to stand and preach. I see. So th- I understood that distinction, mm-hmm. and he was able to teach, but he just didn't want to do that role. So when I was out those years. I would I would invite someone from another church or another okay. pastor to come in, okay. and that was always fine. Yeah, but now that God has raised up these two men who can preach well and mm-hmm. preach at, again, like you said, a drop of a hat, uh, it's nice because um, 
there, you know, it, it, at any moment, I know that either one of them could could fill the pulpit. And and we share. Oh, getting back to the resurrection Sunday. Yeah, uh, we have a Good Friday service, mm-hmm. sunrise service, and a regular service on Sunday. Okay. So normally, in years past, I'm preparing three extra messages that right. that that week. Or two extra ones on top of the, the regular one. But um, for the last two years, I've said, gentlemen, would y'all like to share this duty? Mm-hmm. Yes, they want to preach. So Good. Brother Mike preached one of the best uh, uh, Good Friday messages mm. we've ever had Good. Uh, th- this last this last Good Friday. Brother Andy preached a wonderful uh, sunrise service, and then Good. I preached the morning service, and it was wonderful. And so so there's a lot of blessing in that. There, I see. There's a lot of blessing in being able to, to, to lean on them and them not being feeling, you know, that it's a burden. Yeah. They want to do it. So you've said, and and we can kind of draw to a close a little bit on eldership here, but you've said that um, there are certain things that, uh, you, you drew a bit of a distinction between deacons and elders and that the elders ought to be able to teach. Is there anything else that only elders have the biblical warrant to do in a church? That That's kind of a tough question mm-hmm. because... Um, it's a good question, but I, I don't want to misspeak here. But but I'll give you some examples. Okay. Um, if 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 there were if there were need within the body for for shepherding in regard to something that was um, a sin issue, mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 it needed to be dealt with, I think that that would be a role that the elders should take point on. Okay. Um, so church discipline is that yeah, what you're well, suggesting? Yeah, but not necessarily always because discipline, you know, I see that as the end. <laughs> but even yeah, in the beginning, yeah. um, you know, we've kind of a, we've kind of a, the way that we've described it with our deacons is this: if 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 in your monthly calls or quarterly calls or whatever you're having these conversations, if something arises that it seems like there's a need for counsel and a need mm-hmm. for shepherding, um, you know, feel free to talk to the people, love on them, pray for them. But please make us aware. I see. Because we do feel like in regard to the shepherding of the soul, you know, the, the Hebrews talks about... Um, um, Give an account because they're watching over your soul. Yes. Mm-hmm. It talks about the reason you know, you should they should do this with joy because they're watching over your souls. Yeah. Right? Is yeah. Hebrews 13, right? It says yep, that. yep, yep, yep. So, and so don't... It says... And I'll, I'll go ahead and finish that out because because you, you can't preach this from the pulpit without people squirming a little bit. Dear listener, it says, "Do not, do not burden them, and do not make this a burden, but rather make it a joy." And then, then it says to the to the congregant, "Don't make it a burden, because this would be of no benefit to you. That's right. There is no point to doing that. So make make their lives easy if you can. <laughs> as yeah. make make the make the the sufferings that they endure come from from the outside world, not from inside, if possible. Amen. Yeah. yeah. And so I think looking at that passage, it talks mm-hmm. about. The elders specifically, the overseers, giving an account mm-hmm. for the for the souls. Now, will the will the deacons have to give an account for how they served? Yes, but we're going to give an account for how we shepherded their souls. Mm-hmm. And so, because that burden or responsibility is placed upon us, I do think that that is something that the deacons defer to the elders with. Okay, and so the elders do have an uh, an extra measure of responsibility, and an, and 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 like I said, you know, if 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 there is if there is a if there is a marriage that's collapsing or mm-hmm. if there's a, a man who has fallen into drunkenness or something this is not something that 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 we would expect the deacons to handle we mm-hmm. would expect the deacons to bring us the ball and let us run with it i see and and uh that's not saying we're perfect mm-hmm. but that's our job mm-hmm. is to shepherd their soul 
So you get the nice hard ones. You let them have the and, softballs. Yeah, you get the- and, 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 and that, yeah, that doesn't mean it's easy for us. Um, but but that that's another. You asked about distinction. Yeah, I, yeah. I you know I would say certainly. Um, Bring it, bring it to us, and don't let it. You know, we don't want to be surprised that right. six months later you've been trying to help this guy out. You know, and not saying that you couldn't do well, right? But we, this is our duty. I see. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Well, um, I know we're we're kind of where we're wanting to be on on time wise. Is there anything else that you wanted to say? Um, and this is, by the way, a biblically functioning church by <laughs> Pastor Keith here. Um, and so I, I will be taking one home today. Thank you very much for that. Yes. Is there anything else that you wanted to say? Like if you could just get on your soapbox and shout for the rooftops on specifically these three roles or two roles, I guess we really have active in the new Testament in the, in the, uh, post apostolic church, the pastor, the elder, the overseer, the deacon, bishop, these words that we use, even though we've now said that that's just two offices, pastor, elder, overseer, and then the deacon. Is yeah, there anything and, else you and, wanted and, to say? And, and let me just clarify, because I know that sometimes churches will distinguish between the pastor and the elder. The in the in, and in our sense, I guess we would say vocational elder versus non-vocational. There is still some distinction there, mm-hmm. but it's usually not in authority, it's usually in responsibility. So you yeah. think would would someone be an error to say, you know, I I really do feel called to be an elder, but I could never be a pastor. That would be yeah, somewhat of a strange that that would be the, the I guess you would have to know what they mean by yeah, that. Yeah, I would want to know their terms. If what they mean is, um, I, I, I feel called to shepherd God's people mm-hmm. and to to teach in the church, but I can't give my, I, I, I have a vocation that keeps me from doing this full time mm-hmm. or something like that, but I want to, and that would, and again, I still think it's vocational I do distinction. Too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and the Bible talks about those who, you know, uh, preach and teach that they be worthy of double honor and there's yep. a certain there's a certain distinction even in scripture between yeah. the vocational and non-vocational that's first timothy five by the way yeah and yeah. so there is a um i think that's the biblical distinction okay and, and and when it comes to authority though the three of us come together and we make decisions together mm-hmm. we speak with one voice or not at all that's a rule that we have if we can't agree then we don't move forward until I we see. can until we go back in prayer and we come back and, i see and so um that's been a rule even before the two elders we have now with the two that i have before who were who were older men they were in their 70s and now in their 80s um it was we speak with one voice or not at all okay all right so the authority is all three of us together all right all right oh, oh and the, uh, last thing yeah, I, sure. i'm gonna add uh, and and we are over time but, but this only take two minutes okay and go, go. <laughs> <laughs> okay uh we've talked about elders pastors uh, and we've talked about deacons there is another essential component in the church, Mm -hmm. and that is the body itself. Yeah. And the gift-based ministry, that's something I focus on in the book, is um, that if every church member is utilizing the giftedness that God has given them, then the church will function biblically, Mm -hmm. because where people are gifted with administration, where people are gifted with mercy, where people are gifted with generosity, where people... You know, there's seven specific gifts referenced in, Mm -hmm. in Romans 12... Um, and where those gifts are active, and people are not just warming a pew on Sunday morning, but they're actually active and mm-hmm. ministering to one another, you will see a church that is functioning biblically. I see. And so um, a church is made up more than just the elders and deacons. Yeah. It's made up of the body. And the whole body, you know, the, the, the book of Ephesians, I believe it is, where it says that the role of, of these teachers is to equip the body mm-hmm. to, for, to, to for the work of ministry. Yes, not to do the work of ministry, but to equip the body for the work of ministry. And so that's what we're doing. We're equipping them mm-hmm. to do this within themselves. I see. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is something we covered on our deacon uh, stuff back at my own church, which was um, 
Is it the deacon's role to care for the sick? Yes. But it is also the body's role to care for the sick. That's right. The deacons, I think you use the terminology point person. I love that. Um, the, the, the last, maybe not the last line of defense, because that would be the eldership, but hopefully the body's caring for itself and the deacons are there to provide an extra measure, you know, where, where it is needed and to coordinate that. Yeah. I'll give you a quick story. The, the, sure. Early on in my ministry, I was always told, you know, if somebody's sick, you need to go to the hospital and see them. Mm-hmm. And, and, that is true, mm-hmm. yeah. Especially in a smaller church, when you know it, 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 that that I, I I made that my mission. If it's, if I knew somebody was going to have a surgery or something, I was there. But and I was always told they want the pastor there. They want right, the pastor, there. right? And and it got to the point where I I went to the hospital a couple times. Uh, I had to, one time I had to go in for a surgery, and I was there for a couple of days. And I remember how much more special it was to me that church members, right. Stop by, sort of lay people. Yeah, know. where where you know, I was visited by a deacon and a couple of people, but the people that it was not their duty. Oh, uh, okay. But it was their joy. Yeah. And one, as leaders, we should always serve because it is our joy, not our duty. Mm-hmm. But when you see a church member doing that, mm-hmm. when you see a church member leading the food train or leading the you know leading the charge to visit the sick. That is a blessing for a pastor to see a person do that who's not a deacon or anything else. They're just you know. That's a blessing. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, to the listener, I hope this has been of use to you, and I think that Brother Foskey and I would both agree that if your church does not precisely align with stuff we've laid out here, it doesn't mean you have a defective church. It doesn't mean that your church does not have believers and that God's Spirit is not at work. What we've been endeavored to do here is to draw as close to the New Testament as possible, because Amen. we think that that the God-breathed scriptures are the rule of faith for the church, the sole infallible rule of faith for the church, Amen. we would say. So, uh, I have been Matthew, I am Matthew Henson, I have not been your Calvinist, and this is my, my good friend Keith, who has been your Calvinist, on a unique reverse episode of Conversations with Calvinist. We hope that this episode has been a blessing to you, and we hope that you join us next time, uh, next time we post, and that may be next week. God bless you.